bless you. I speak a blessing over you this morning. Pray God's Holy Spirit would just fall in this place. You know, um, we, we've been doing things just a little bit different, and uh, I would like to this morning, um, you know, in the last couple of weeks I've had individuals come up and pray, but I ask you a question. When is the last time that you knelt before the Lord, that you actually bowed before the Lord? So if you're physically able to do that today, I'd like for you to just get out of your seat and just kneel. You can just lean on your chair if you want. But we're going to take about a minute. We're going to pray. And uh, if you physically can't do that, that's okay. Or if you don't feel like doing that, that's all right too. You can just you know, st uh, stay in your seat. But I just feel like we want to humble ourselves and kneel before the Lord. Um, our country is in terrible shape. Our city's in terrible shape. You can't turn on the radio or the TV without hearing about a shooting or murder or suicide. Um, and I just want to pray that, that God would revive us and bring healing to us and bring healing to our land, that he would heal this land, this great nation that has turned its back on God. And I want to pray that we would, as a nation, that we would return to God, the God of our forefathers, the God of the founding fathers of this nation. And so if we're, we're just going to take a minute and just humbly bow before the Lord. Or you're welcome to, whenever you feel comfortable, we'll wait just a few more minutes and wait till everybody has completed their time in prayer. We, um, you know, this is the first Sunday of the month, and uh, if you smell good food cooking, that means your nose is working good, and uh, we've got barbecue brisket, so I want to encourage you to, to stay after the service. Um, I want to just uh, 
Let's just pray again, if you would just join me in prayer. Father, we, we want to just thank you, Lord, for your goodness and your favor upon us, your mercy, which you say is new every morning to us, Lord. Um, God, this morning I just pray that, that you'd give us an ear to hear and um, a heart that understands. Lord, give us a teachable spirit this morning. I pray that, as Nina was talking about, Reinhard Bonnke, that, uh, you know, that he was willing to hear from you, Lord. I, I pray that we too would just hear this, the voice of your Holy Spirit. We talked about this last week, about a young Samuel hearing the Lord's voice and responding to the Lord's voice. And Father, it's one thing to hear your voice, it's another thing to act and to respond and to be obedient to that voice. That's why when Jesus said, what is the greatest commandment? He says, hear, O Israel. And that word hear doesn't mean just to take in, but it means to be, to listen, to be obedient to what you've heard, to act on, to respond to what you've heard. And Lord, I pray that you would give us that kind of heart, that a heart that wants to follow hard after you, no matter what the cost, Lord, that we want to follow you. We want to be faithful and obedient to you. So we invite your presence we invite the presence of the Holy Spirit to just fall on this place, Lord. Fall here this morning. Let there be a great anointing and life given to your word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen and amen. Okay, um, I'm going to be, uh, I, I've had this, you know, kind of feeling in my, my spirit about this nation and uh, at the retreat um, I think Nate had asked me if I had, you know, heard uh, or read anything by Jonathan Kahn, and I actually had never heard of him. And um, so after we got back from the retreat, I started looking him up online and listening to some of his messages. And uh, one of the, uh, uh, I think, a book that he's written called, is called The Mystery of the Shemitah, um, and let me just explain to you uh, what that means. Uh, it comes from Leviticus chapter 25. It says, And the Lord said to Moses at Mount, Mount Sinai, Speak to the Israelites and say to them, When you enter the land that I'm going to give you, the land itself must observe a Sabbath to the Lord. For six years sow your fields, and for six years prune your vineyards and gather their crops. But in the seventh year... The land is to have a Sabbath rest, a Sabbath. And that word, or that simply translates a Shemitah. Um, it says, um, we, we know that as soon as the Jews settled in the Holy Land, that they began to count and observe seven-year cycles. And every cycle would culminate in a sabbatical year known as the Shemitah. And it means to release. It also can mean a... Um, a shaking or a collapse. Um, I want to just, uh, on the heels of that, the next chapter, uh, Moses is speaking again to the children of Israel, and he's talking about the consequences of sin. And we know that there is a consequence of sin that, uh, you know, even though we sin against God, that uh, we, we can be forgiven by God. But if you break the law, you may be forgiven by God if you ask forgiveness for your sins. But there may be a consequence that you have to pay to, you know, justice to society. It may require you to go to jail. It may require you to go to, uh, to prison. There sometimes can be a consequence for sexual sins. Um, you know, God may forgive you for, uh, you know, for a sexual sin. 
but there may be a consequence for that. Maybe the person that you had sex with has a, uh, a sexually transmitted disease, and you get that. Now, while God may have forgiven you for the sins, there's uh, the sin, there's a consequence for that. We see that David, uh, when he had uh, an affair with Bathsheba and uh, had her husband Uriah killed, um, the baby that uh, was born to uh, Bathsheba, uh, we find out that that baby dies. Uh, and, and in addition to that, uh, David would lose the throne for a period of time. His son Absalom would revolt against him. He would be driven out in shame. And so there was a consequence for his sin. And that's what Moses is talking about, about here. How God wants us to be obedient to him. And he goes to great lengths. He'll do anything to, bring, to get us back. He, you know, the, uh, Mike Stone talked about this last, last week. He says that, you know, if you are a son of God, that God disciplines his children. Uh, not out of anger, but in order to get them to return. We read in Revelation chapter 9 about how God pouring out his wrath upon the, the, the earth at that time during the seven-year tribulation period. And it says that still the people's hearts were so hard that they would not return to God. They refused to repent. And that's what Moses is talking about here. He says, in uh, reading in uh, Leviticus 26, it says, But if you refuse to obey me and won't observe my commandments, despising my decrees and holding my laws in contempt by your disobedience, making shambles of my covenant, I'll step in and pour on the, tr uh, pour on the trouble, De debilitating disease, high fevers, blindness, uh, your, your life leaking out bit by bit. You'll plant seed, but your enemies will eat the crops. I will turn my back on you and stand by while, the enemies, uh, while your enemies defeat you. Verse 18, he says, And if none of this works, listen to this. I want you to hear this because it's really important. And if none of this works in getting your attention, I will discipline you seven times more for your sins, and I will break your strong pride. And if you defy me, this is verse 21, and refuse to listen, uh, your, uh, your punishment will be seven times more than your sins. I'll set wild animals on you. They'll rob you of your children, kill your cattle, decimate your numbers until you think that you're living in a ghost town. And if even this doesn't work and you refuse to be disciplined and continue your defiance, then it will be my, my turn to defy you. I, yes, I will punish you for your sins seven times more. I will let war loose on you, avenging your breaking of the covenant when you're huddled in your cities for protection. And if this, even this doesn't work and you still won't listen to me and you still defy me, I have had enough in hot anger um, will defy you, punishing for your sins seven times more. Notice the seven, seven times. And then I'm going to add seven times more to that, and then seven times more to that, and seven times more to that. God's saying, I'm going to get, you, get your attention. Remember what he said to the Apostle Paul when Paul was in rebellion against God and he was on his way to Damascus to get you know, uh, permission to, to take further action against Christians, arresting them, putting them to death, putting them in prison, and God said, Jesus said to Paul, he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the pricks, or it's hard against you, uh, for you to kick against the goad. It's what you would goad an ox with. It was a sharp point. And uh, he goes on to say, 
Uh, you know, if, even if this doesn't work and you still won't listen and still defy me, I have had enough and in hot anger I will, uh, will defy you, punishing for your sins seven times. And I will turn your land into a lifeless moonscape. Your enemies who come to take over will be shocked at what they see and I will scatter you all over the world. We know that that's what happened to the Jewish people. There will be nothing left in your land, nothing going on in your cities. With you gone and dispersed in the countries of your enemies, the land, empty of you, will finally get to uh, get a break and enjoy its Sabbath years, or the Shemitah years. All the time it's, it's left there empty, the land will get its rest. The Sabbath, it never got when you lived there. So God was saying, I'm going to make sure that the, that the land gets its rest. Well, we know that... Uh, you know, the children of Israel said, you know, they looked at it, you know, God on this hand, obey God, leave the land to rest. Seventh year, uh, seventh year, make money. God, money. God, money. And they chose money. And we know as a result of that, they were sold into slavery. They were slaves into Babylon for 70 years, and then God released them. Um, in Isaiah chapter 9... It says this, it says the master, speaking about God, sent a message, this is Isaiah 9, 10, the master, the master sent a message to Jacob, and it landed right on Israel's doorstep. All the people soon heard the message, Ephraim and citizens of Samaria, but they were proud and an arrogant bunch, and they dismissed the message saying, things aren't that bad. You know, it sounds like America today. You know, things aren't that bad. You guys remember when 9-11 happened? You remember how the churches were full and overflowing? Now that happened for about, what, a week? And then we started saying the same thing. Things aren't that bad. I, you know, I mean, we got it under control. I mean, we're America. We're strong. We're tough. We're the greatest nation on earth. How many times have we heard that? You know, I mean, we can survive. We will survive this. In fact, that's what he says. They dismissed the message saying things aren't that bad. We can handle anything that comes. If our buildings, listen, if our buildings are knocked down, we will build them bigger and finer. I think I have a picture. Look, look at this. If our buildings are knocked down, we will build them bigger and finer. Look at the next slide. We decided to build them bigger and better. And when the final beam of the Twin Towers were sent, uh, were set, uh, the final beam, this is what it says. And this is what our president wrote. He said, uh, I can't read it from here. Uh, we remember, we rebuild, and we will come back stronger. No, if, is that arrogance? If God says that I'm going to knock the buildings down, and you come back and say, I'm going to just rebuild them. If you knock it down, God, I'll, just re I'll, I'll, I'll rebuild it again. You know what God says? I'm remembering your sins. And if you won't hear me the next time, it'll be seven times worse on you after that. And so um, uh, when, when we were at the retreat, uh, Nate, is Nate here this morning? Nathan, he's not. He's not. Um, he asked me if I had heard of Jonathan Kahn, and I hadn't. And so uh, he's written a, um, a couple of books, uh, The Mystery of the Shemitah and the, the uh, Harbinger. Uh, it means omen. It's like an omen. And let me just read. These are some words of uh, Jonathan Kahn's. It says, New York's, and, and this is kind of a great history lesson because I'm reading, reading things and 
finding out things that I didn't even know. It says, New York Ground Zero actually represents more than the former financial center of the country. It re represents the exact place at which America was first consecrated to God in a prayer by the country's new leader. When judgment came to Israel, the, cl the calamity uh, returned the people's attention to the place where the nation had been consecrated to God, the Temple Mount. And God was calling the nation back to himself. Well, what about 9-11? Could there be an American, an American calamity as well, a mystery of return? Could there be a prophetic message hidden in the place where it happened? There is a place where America was consecrated to God in prayer. It's also the place linked to the prophetic warning given on the same day, uttered by the nation's first president and now coming to pass. In 1789, the newly inaugurated President George Washington, giving a prophetic warning at Federal Hall in New York City, and he declared that America's prosperity and protection were dependent upon America's adherence to God and to God's Word. Later, that political leader of the young nation gathered at St. Paul's Chapel to commit the nation's future to God's purpose. That chapel is located at ground zero and miraculously survived the 9-11 um, you know, disaster virtually unscathed. In the aftermath of the attack, the nation was stunned said Khan. Everyone was trying to make sense of what had happened. This unprecedented attack on America, the very next day, September the 12th, then Senate Majority Leader Tom Daschle presented America's response to the world. And what did he say? Daschle said, America will emerge from this tragedy as we have emerged from all adversity, united and strong. Nothing, nothing can replace the loss of those who have suffered. And I know this is only a small measure of inspiration that can be taken from this devastation, but there's a passage in the Bible from Isaiah that speaks to all of us at times like this. And then he went on to read Isaiah chapter 9 and 10. And Isaiah chapter 9 and 10 is a judgment, not a comfort to America. God's saying the message is laid at the door for Jacob. And Jacob, you better wake up and hear. And they said, oh, it's not that bad. We're going to be, we'll rebuild, we'll rebuild even stronger. We'll be use stronger stones this next time. And instead of little trees, we'll use the big, strong cedar tree. And it said that Dashiell had no idea what he was doing here. He thought he was offering words of comfort, but he was actually defying uh, with arrogant words, the words of the children of Israel proclaimed in the ancient uh, and this ominous vow of leaders of that nation. He doesn't realize it, but he's actually inviting more judgment on the nation. It might be of some significance that Dashiell, one of the most powerful men in the nation, when he spoke those words, later fell in disgrace to the point where he couldn't even serve in Barack Obama's cabinet. That might have been the end of the story if no other top leader in the nation uttered those strange, obscure words after 9-11. But that's not the case. On the third anniversary of the attack, the attack, September the 11th, 2004, another powerful U.S. senator running for the vice president that year and who would famously run for the presidency four years later gave a speech to the Congressional Black Caucus. This time, John Edwards 
in, uh, entire speech was built around the foundation of nine, Isaiah 9 and 10. Today, this day we remember the morning, we had the Lord's word to get us through, he said, and then he read Isaiah 9, 10, and he went on and talked about how America was doing just that, rebuilding with hewn stones and planting cedars. And the Isaiah 10 judgment, 9 and 10 judgment, uh, viewers get to see these remarkable, largely forgotten and overlooked speeches which, which directly link the events of 9-11 and the events referred to in Isaiah 9 and 10. Like Dashiell, Edwards thinks he's invoking inspirational and comforting words from the Bible, but he's actually inviting judgment on America. He's repeating the vow that provoked God to bring calamity on ancient Israel. And even more astonishing, uh, Dashiell and Edwards were not alone among U.S. leaders in making similar statements, the Isaiah 9-10 judgment. But, a, but aside from such statements, which could, could be chalked up as political talk or coincidence, is there anything else linked to Isaiah 9-10 to the 9-11 tragedy? Well, there was actually a very, very famous sycamore tree that fell in the attack on the World Trade Center, and it was replaced by um, the same species of cedar. There has been many plans to make and rebuild the Twin Towers bigger and better uh, with large hewn stones which were actually quarried out of the Anirondack Mountains in New York and brought to get ground zero. So we see that you know, there are some similarities. I've thought this for many, many years, maybe as long as I've been a Christian, that there are very many similarities between our nation uh, and Israel. I mean, you know, the, the pride of Israel during the, the golden reign of, of David and Solomon, uh, were, was, it was a nation beyond compare. Uh, there was no other nation you could compare it to. Even the Queen of Sheba, when she came and saw, she said, you know, only half was told me uh, of how great and how great this nation was and how great you are. Uh, you know, she said, I've only heard half of it now that I've seen it with my eyes. But, you know, when, when things like this happen to America, we have that same kind of attitude that we're great and that we can rebuild and we will be um, better and stronger. But I want to tell you that America is on a downhill slide because we've turned from God. We've trusted in ourselves. We've trusted in our economy. We've trusted in you know, our own strength, our own ingenuity, our own intelligence to do things. And that, you know, uh, you know, we're proud. We're Americans. We can figure it out. Nothing can keep us down. But when we start, and when we or any nation starts driving God out of the nation and says that we want all the blessings of God, we want the reign of God, we want the prosperity of God, we want the peace of God, we want the protection of God, but we don't want God, we're in trouble. And that's what this nation has done. Uh, you know, in 19, I think, I can't remember the year, uh, Roe v. Wade, maybe somebody remembers it off the top of their head, 1970-something. 73? 73, Roe v. Wade. Uh, you know, America started killing children. This is one of the things that brought judgment upon ancient Israel. They started offering their children to the, uh, the idolatrous god Molech. And Molech was a, uh, a bronze, bronze idol 
with his arms opened up like this and what the children of Israel and you know the other pagans would do is they would heat this thing up that was hollow underneath. They could build a fire and when the fire uh, got so hot that the bronze turned red uh, in color because of the heat, they would lay their children, their newborn children in the arms of this, uh, of this idol. And God said that, you know, I mean, it was, it was just sin in the eyes of God to kill children. It's still sin in the eyes of God when we kill children. So back to the Shemitah, the Shemitah year of Levit Leviticus 26, it can be a blessing if you're obedient to God, and it can be a curse if you're disobedient to God. Um, and then there's something about the towers. You, you'll remember in Genesis, I believe it's in Genesis chapter 11, it is in Genesis chapter 11. Uh, you'll remember that the people, this is uh, uh, right after the flood, and they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches up to heaven so that we may make a name for ourselves. It was all about us, and it was all about our pride, and that's what they wanted to do. And they started building this tower up to heaven. And, you know, um, towers are, are just kind of like a, a symbol of strength to any nation. Uh, it's like who can have, you know, the largest tower, or towers. And uh, up until about 1880, uh, the, the largest towers were in Europe. Europe was the, you know, the, the nation that, that was the head of the world, the leading nation. But in 1880, something different began to change. Uh, there was a new power that was coming from a new nation, and it began to grow, and America began to succeed and began to rise and started becoming the greatest nation in the world. That was in the 1880s. And then in uh, 1917, this was a, a Shemitah year. Uh, we talk about the rise and fall of nations. World War I broke out, and at the end of World War I, Nations crumbled. Russia and Germany and Hungary and the Ottoman Empire, all of them crumbled. They failed. These were great nations and they fell uh, because of the United States entering into that war. That was a Shemitah year. And then uh, in 1917, at the same time, uh, you know, we talk about a fall, it can, there can be a falling or a collapse, but there also can be a release. And 1917 was the, the British Empire uh, 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 sent a letter called the, the, uh, uh, the, Bel the uh, Balfour, Balfour, it was, uh, what's the name, first name? I don't know. Anyway, the Balfour Declaration was uh, sent to the Rothschilds, in essence, it was allowing the Jews to start returning to their land. Not declared a nation, but giving the Jews the land. That happened in 1917, a Shemitah year. And then in 1937, we see the, uh, the third greatest crash in, in, in history of America uh, with Wall Street that brought on the Great Depression. Uh, 1945 was the Shemitah year, but we see that 1945 was the end of World War II, which America was involved in. Uh, we had created uh, the greatest weapon, the atomic weapon, the age of nuclear uh, had begun, and millions of people were actually killed, you know, in that, in that war. Uh, but it ended the war in a Shemitah year. Uh, 1967 
was the Shemitah year, and we see the Jews not only in 1948 regaining Jerusalem, they had Jerusalem, or excuse me, Israel, but they had Israel, but they didn't have Jerusalem. And in 1967, a Shemitah year, the, the Six-Day War broke out, and Jerusalem was attacked from every side, from Egypt, from Syria, from Libya, I believe, all of the nations around. There was three nations that had attacked Israel. And, I mean, any one of them, in, in the natural sense, if God had not been with them, any one of those nations single-handedly probably could have defeated Israel. But God showed up. And this war that was supposed to go on forever was over in six, uh, six days. They call it the War of Miracles. It was a miracle war. In 1973, America is on the, on the downhill slide. Uh, we've, uh, uh, we've kicked God out of school. We've kicked prayer out of school. We've kicked the Bible out of school. Uh, we're murdering babies. And for the first time in, in America's history, America loses the Vietnam War. That was the Shemitah year, 1973. And then uh, in 1980, we had, there was a, a great economic collapse. In 2001, uh, we see the attack on the Twin Towers. Uh, that was a Shemitah year. Uh, in 2007 and 2008, the greatest recession that America has ever known. Black Monday, many of you remember Black Monday. And they said that when it came time for the bell to ring, the opening bell to ring on that Shemitah, that was a Shemitah uh, day, that the bell didn't ring. And all of those stockbrokers took that as an omen, you know, that it was bad news that the bell didn't ring. The stock market that day, listen to this, you know how God, we just talked about all those sevens. You know, the seven, seven times more and seven times more, the seventh year, the stock market fell that day 777 points, or 7% of the entire stock market crashed on that day, a Shemitah day. Um, well, on September the 13th, in about 45 days, we're going to enter another Shemitah, September the 13th of 2015. So what's going to happen? I don't know. Um, what's going to happen to America? I don't know that either. But I do believe this. I believe that the only hope for you and our nation is if we return to God. It's the only hope, the only hope for our nation. Let me just read a few scriptures that while Israel, and some of these apply to them uh, while they were in captivity, and some apply to them after the captivity. But this one is from Zechariah chapter uh, 1. It says, the Lord was very angry with your ancestors. Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you, says the Lord. Do not be like your ancestors to whom the early, earlier prophets proclaimed. This is what the Lord 
Almighty says, turn from your evil ways and your evil practices, but they would not listen or pay attention to me, declares the Lord. Where are your ancestors now? Well, they were destroyed because they didn't listen to the Lord. Here's another one from Joel chapter 2. Even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and mourning. Rend your heart and not your garments. It was a very common practice. Uh, you know, if you were in mourning or, or, or if you were in repentance, to tear your clothes and, you know, put on some ashes and put on sackcloth. That's like feed bags that we have today. Something that would irritate the skin. And, and walk around like that and, and plead to God that God would, you know, would turn away his wrath. He says, rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord, for he is gracious and compassionate and slow to anger, abounding in love, and he relents from, uh, and he relents from sending calamity. Who knows? He may turn and relent and leave behind a blessing instead of a curse. And that's what the Shemitah is. Uh, it can be either a blessing or a curse. If, you, if you're obedient to God, it's a blessing. If you've been disobedient to God, it can be a curse. It can be the falling. It can be the, the, uh, the, the calamity that comes upon your life. And then uh, in Hosea chapter 6 verse 1 it says, Come, let us return to the Lord. He has torn us to pieces, but he would heal. He has injured us, but he will bind up our wounds. Um, and then we, we come to this uh, scripture from Isaiah chapter 5 verse 20 that says, Woe to those that call good evil, and uh, they call evil good and good evil, who put darkness for light and light for darkness, who put bitter for sweet and sweet for bitter. I want to just take you back to the beginning because when we're talking about light and darkness, I mean, there's some great parallels here and I really want you to get this. But we have to go back to Genesis chapter 1. It says, in the beginning, God created. In the beginning, God created. You've got to get that in your heart. You've got to understand that. We didn't just evolve. You know, it wasn't a big boom or a big bang or anything like that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless, listen to this, listen to the description of the earth. It was formless and it was empty and darkness was over the surface of the deep. Doesn't sound like a place that you want to be. But listen to this, but listen to this. It was dark and it was empty and it was formless and darkness covered the surface of the deep. And then, and then God shows up. And so I don't care how bad things get in America or this world, if God shows up, things can change. And that's what we're called to do. We are people of the light. This church is called the light, and not by an accident. It was by, I believe it was by divine guidance that God caused us, called us to name this church the light. And we have the light acronym. I'm not going to go into that today. But there is darkness. We not, there's so many scriptures about darkness. The people that sat in the land of darkness have seen a great light. Many scriptures like that. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw that it was good. And so, and we read in Exodus chapter 10. This is one of the plagues that uh, God told Moses to do. And he says, stretch out your hand toward the sky so that darkness spread over evil or over Egypt, which was evil. Uh, darkness that can be felt, 
So Moses stretched out his hand toward the sky and total darkness covered all of Egypt for three days. For three days. And yet, all of the, it says no one could see anyone else or move about for three days. Yet, all of Israel, remember they were in Canaan, in the land of Canaan? All of Israel had light in the place where they lived. Darkness, I mean, it's like a curse. It's like, you know, being in darkness. Um, so that Isaiah chapter 45 says this, so that from the rising of the sun to the place of its setting, people may know that there is none beside me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form light and I create darkness. I bring prosperity and I create disaster. I, the Lord, do all these things. I want to tell you that when God creates disaster, when there are plagues, when, there, there's a, when the land is falling apart, the nation is falling apart, or you and your life is falling apart, or are fall, falling apart, I believe this because we've departed from God. And God brings calamity. He brings discipline into our lives. Why? Because He's a mean God? Looking for somebody to rough up? No. He's just trying to get you to return. He's trying to get your attention. He's saying, return to me. That's the cry of God. Return to me. Please return to me. I don't enjoy doing this. I mean, you know as a parent, those of you that have had to spank your, your children, you have no pleasure in that. You take no pleasure in that. It's not like, oh man, you got out of line today. Ha ha. I can beat you up. I mean, it's not. it breaks your heart. It breaks your heart when you have to discipline your children. And I believe that's the way that it is with God. He doesn't want to do it. But when you think about the alternative, if He lets you continue in your ways, your way is set on a path of destruction. And God says, I love you so much, I'm not going to let you go that way. I'll do whatever it takes to stop you from continuing on that path. Well, I want to tell you that, you know, I believe that our nation, I was listening last night on the news, and uh, fortunately I was recording this so I could uh, stop and, and write it down later on. But I just want to talk about the destruction that we see in our nation today. In Baltimore, um, you know, uh, the city of the just recent riots, there's been 179 homicides, and that's 55 more killings this year than, than there were in 2014. In Chicago, there's been 243 killings this year, up 20% from last year. In Houston, uh, the murder rate has gone up 50%. In Milwaukee, it's up 85%. Uh, percent. And 80% of gunfire doesn't even get reported, or if it's reported, the police don't respond to it. There's no follow-up. There have been 60 lone wolf uh, terrorist attacks on our nation just this year alone. America, uh, the once the world's greatest nation, leading nation, sitting up on the top, uh, the city on the hill has fallen. Um, and we are in darkness. We are seeing things that we've never seen in our lifetime before. The beheading of Christians in other parts of the world. Christians under attack. Churches being born, uh, burned. Uh, you know, uh, this Iran nuclear deal. Uh, you know, our turning away, turning our backs on the nation that we have 
uh, since its conception in 1948, it has been our friend and we have been a friend to the nation of Israel. And all of a sudden we have a president that comes up that is, speaks derogatory remarks against uh, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu uh, that has withdrawn its support for Israel. We've abandoned our, uh, our friends and now we are becoming friends to our enemies. What is happening? I believe that you know, it, the, it's the Shemitah. You know, it's, it's the, the Shemitah of a cursing and not a blessing. So, as Christians, what do we do? What can we do? What can you do? What, what, what is our responsibility? Well, I believe the scripture is very clear from Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1 and 2. It says, Arise and shine, for the light has come. And the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth. Thick darkness is over the people. But the Lord rises upon you and His glory appears over you. Arise and shine. That's what Jesus said. I'll get to that in just a moment. But I tell you, for, for so long and just recently, I believe Christians have, have withdrawn. We have not been bold. We've not had the boldness of Peter, James, and John. You know, we always talk about we want to be a New Testament church. If you want to be a New Testament church, you've got to get in the face of the leaders and say, what you're doing is wrong and what you're doing is sin. That's exactly what Peter and James and John did. They said, you killed the Messiah. You, you destroyed, you killed him, crucified the Holy One of Israel. You nailed him to a tree. But God, but God showed up and raised him from the dead. Amen? That's what we need today. And God is only going to show up when we, when we return to the Lord. So the Bible says that, I love this, I've taken some of these scriptures from the message translation because, uh, I, you know, we've heard them so many times. I think that we develop a hardness of heart. Oh, I've heard that, been there, done that. But let me tell you, this is from Matthew chapter 5. And this is actually the passage of Scripture that we took the name of this church from. He says, let me tell you why you're here. Let me tell you why you're here. Not just here in this place today, but let me tell you why you're here on earth. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt, seasoning, that brings out God flavors of this earth. If you've lost your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and will end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out God's colors in the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this. I like that. As public as a city on a hill... If I make you a light bearer, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm putting you on a light stand. And now that I put you there on a hilltop, on a light stand, shine. Keep open house. Be generous with your lives by opening up to others. You'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father that we have in heaven. Well, when Peter was preaching and sharing that uh, same story that I just shared with you, when Peter and James and John were in the face of the religious leaders, they weren't hiding, they weren't being politically correct, they were just like, this is what God told us to do, and when we're, we're going to do it. And when the people heard it, 
it says that they were, let me read it. It says they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Well, I would just sum it up in what I've said already. Number one, you need to return to the Lord. That's what you need to do. You need to make this good news that you've heard. You need to go public with it. You also need to repent. And that might be the first step. In returning to God, you've got to repent. And that's what Peter told those individuals that day on the day of Pentecost. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's why we're here. That's why we're here. That's why we're here today. We're here to be light to a dark world. And if this nation is going to be saved, if this nation is going to have a turnaround, it's going to begin with the church. The Bible says that judgment first begins in the house of God. And it begins with you and I. And, you know, when we think that, that we're there, that, you know, my sins aren't that bad, you know what? We become arrogant just like the, the nation of Israel. We become arrogant just like our nation. When we think, oh, I'm not that bad. Uh, if, you, if you're thinking that right now, I'm going to tell you that, that Satan has blinded you to your sins so that you can't see them, or your heart is hardened. And what you're saying in your heart is, I don't care what God's Word says. I'm going to live my life the way I want to live. And God is saying, number one, repent. And number two, return to Him. And number three, let your light shine. Let your light shine to a dark and hurting and broken world, a world that needs to see Jesus in you, okay? When we look up, somebody was talking about the blue moons. I think there was one last, was there one last night or Saturday night? Was it Saturday night or Friday night? Okay. A blue moon, that means it's just two full moons in a month. I don't think there's any significance to that spiritually or biblically. Maybe there is. He says that in Genesis, I will put the sun and the moon in the sky and the heavens and they will be for signs and wonders and for seasons and times and days and years and months. Um, But I do feel that our nation is in trouble. And I feel to some degree that the church is in trouble because we're not doing what God's called us to do. We just kind of like, we sit back and we kind of like, like we, we watch life go by. And we will start our routine tomorrow morning doing the same thing that we did last Monday morning. We'll go to work and we'll come home and if you've got an automatic garage door opener, you'll open the garage door and you'll park your car and your neighbor won't see you and you won't see your neighbor You'll go in and you'll have dinner and you'll get the remote out and you'll start listening to all the terrible things that are going on in the world and wonder why. I think the time for wondering why is over. We know why. Our nation has fallen from grace. We've abandoned God. We've mocked God. And it's time for Christians to stand up. And like God told Joshua, he said, you're going into a new land. He said, I don't want you to worry or be afraid. He says, in fact, I want you to be bold and be strong and know that I'm with you. 
And I'm telling you that right now. When you walk out these doors and when you go to work tomorrow morning, go as a different person. Go with someone that has boldness. It is not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what Paul said. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ because it is the power of God. It is the power of God. It's the power of God. I don't care what you're struggling with, what kind of sin you're struggling with. There is power in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I will never, ever, ever, ever be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ or Christ himself. I want to stand and I want to proclaim his goodness and his grace and his mercy to me and my family forever and ever as long as I have breath. As long as I have energy, as long as I can speak, I want to proclaim the goodness of God to everyone. Not just those like you that are brothers and sisters that I love, but to those that don't know the gospel message. We are sent to proclaim the gospel message of Jesus Christ. You are the light of the world. You're not going to be the light of the world. You are already the light of the world. Stand up with me. We're going to pray. Amen? Amen. We serve a mighty God, don't we? I mean, he is worthy. He is worthy. He is worthy of our praise. And I'm telling you that, you know, whatever struggles that you're having in life right now, whether it's in finances or in relationships or in sin, I don't care what the sin is. I don't care what sin problem you have. There's no sin in your life greater than the power of our God. Because the Bible says, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead. Now just think about this. This is Jesus is dead, dead, dead. He is in a cold stone tomb. And his body is stiff. And three days later, the scripture says, if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he will quicken your mortal body. He will give life to you. He will help you overcome the struggles in your life. He's called us to be overcomers. That's what another name for a Christian is overcomer. I'm an overcomer. Why am I an overcomer? Because I have faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm an overcomer because he's given me his Holy Spirit. And with his Holy Spirit, there's power. And there's anointing with his Holy Spirit. And I'm just going to take a moment. And if you've never prayed this prayer, I want you to pray. I know if you're struggling right now, uh, if you're going through a difficult time, uh, and you need help and you need power in your life, if, if you just close your eyes and bow your head right now, and just say, Father, in the name of your Son, Jesus, I come to you. And I come to you as a weak vessel. I come to you with, with sin clinging in my life. Sin has a grip on me. But your word says that Jesus Christ came to set the captives free. And I'm asking you, Lord, to break the power of sin in my life. I'm asking you, Lord, to give me a new heart, a clean heart, and restore a right spirit within me. I'm asking you, Father, your word says to ask and you will receive, to seek and you will find. To knock and the door will be open to you. And I'm asking you, Father, your word says, if a son asks for a bread or asks for an egg, will his father give him a scorpion or a snake? No. No, no, no. His father will not do that. He says, then how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those that ask him? 
And I want you to ask right now, Father, in Jesus' name, give me. Give me, please, Father, in Jesus' name, give me your Holy Spirit. I can't walk through this life alone. And your word promises that when Jesus left, that you would send the Holy Spirit. You would send the Holy Spirit. You would send him as a guide, as a comforter, as power in my life. And I'm asking you, Father, for the Holy Spirit because I need guidance. I need deliverance. I need the power to overcome in my life. I ask these things in Jesus' name. And God's people said, Amen. And we worship the Lord. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. The Lord is good and the food is ready, okay? Let me say a quick blessing over the food. Father, we bless you. We thank you for the food and the, for those that are working, those that are serving, those that have prepared it. We speak a special blessing on them in Jesus' name. Enjoy the fellowship of one another. Sit with somebody that you don't know.